Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I have another great conversation with Dr. Matthew Perry coming up for you. Today we dove into all things knee pain, those things you need to know, those things that you may have heard before, and probably a lot of things that you haven't. And as usually got off on our normal tangents of other subjects, but circled it all back to knee pain. So whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. Let's tune in. Matthew Perry, thank you for joining me again today. How are you? Hey, Brianne. I'm doing very well today. I am enjoying the fall. <laughs> it's a nice change of pace from all of the uh, heat we've been having. I know every time I'm on here, I talk about the weather, but... Uh, <laughs> Hey, I pay enough for it to be out here, so <laughs> I get to talk about it. <laughs> and we might as well just make your trademark of like you talk to Matt, you talk about the weather, like Doctor Matthew it. Perry, the weatherman. <laughs> new title, new profession. Let's do it. <laughs> I, I I love it. I love it. Disrupting healthcare um, in this facet is all good by me. <laughs> But no, it's and honestly, all honesty, it's really cool to see, um, you know, at this point, country kind of opening up a little bit, you know, with all the COVID stuff, like we're able to participate in some running events with uh, and, and help people in that way. Like, I, I just feel this good energy and positive energy moving forward. So, yeah, it's super nice that things are starting to seem normal. There's still hit and miss pockets of abnormalcy and things still shut down and things really restricted, but yeah, for the most part, it's nice to be able to move about as a normal human again. As a normal human <laughs> being. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's dive in. Obviously, we just always talk about the random stuff that you need to know or the random stuff that we just decide to banter about. <laughs> Both of those things. You need to know it and we're bantering. So Correct. All the above. <laughs> Um, so let's dive in. Um, I'll have you start. I know you had a topic idea that you wanted to kind of jump into. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, had a just, uh, it, it's funny in, in our clinic, uh, we see waves of different types of people. We'll see a bunch of people who have shoulder injuries or then see a bunch of people who have knee injuries. It just kind of happens like that. I'm sure in your practice, you see that too. And uh, we've been, uh, had a lot of knee injuries coming in. And, you know, I, I always probe and try to take a deep dive into what's going on with their knee pain, um, as always. And, you know, the kind of common themes I hear are, you know, my, my knee hurt, I didn't know what was going on. You know, maybe they stepped off the curb wrong, heard a pop, you know, some, something like that. And uh, they went to the uh, doctor uh, you know, got all the x-rays and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the doctor says, oh, well, you know, if your, uh, if your knee hurts, uh, maybe, maybe stop running, maybe take it easy for a while, you know, or some, you know, um, abstract kind of uh, uh, um, uh, explanation like that as to what they think is going to get them better. And, you know, it's really frustrating at times because sometimes that's warranted. I totally, totally agree but, you know, other times and with like our athletes, you know, they we've now taken away their, um, um, you know, their, their uh, you know, who they are. And, and because uh, runners are runners, that's what they would say they are first. They're not HR. They're not a CEO of a company. They are a runner first and foremost. And now we've kind of taken that away. And that's uh, that's just really sad. So, um, yeah, maybe we could take a deep dive into into that, you know, I want to hear your thoughts, uh, if you've heard something like this before and, uh, where do we go from there? You know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I feel like we get this mix of the people who it's like, I have pain, so I'm just going to rest for a while. Or, and then there's the opposite end of the spectrum of I've had pain, but I don't care. Cause I have this race in two weeks and I have this other race in a month and I need to continue training. So I'm just going to run through it. Or I'm just going to get a cortisone injection to like knock out the pain and just keep running through it. And so I feel like we have this like both ends of the spectrum and neither of them is really helpful. Like <laughs> we have to find this middle ground <laughs> to actually start the healing process. 
Yeah, well, us as humans are so good at going to one polar end or the other polar end, right? <laughs> um, where, you know, yes, I, I absolutely agree. We should be meeting somewhere in the middle with that. And maybe, you know, um, the advice of, you know, um, taking things easier, you know, is is, is warranted uh, because that other person is going to run through, you know, they're paying to do a 100-mile uh, race you know, it's just going to thrash their knee even more if it's already flared up and angry at them. Um, but we also can't just take it away completely um, from someone because that's not going to heal them um, any easier. And I think, you know, the evidence does uh, does kind of support that, right, with, um, you know, a lack of activity and um, things like arthritis and all that kind of stuff um, uh, getting getting worse in the knee. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the knee needs that movement for lubrication, so we don't develop all the like the arthritis type symptoms. And there's a lot that goes into into that as well, which we'll dive into later. But um, yeah, like we need that movement, and just sitting around, putting ice in your knee, putting heat on your knee, keeping it in one position all the time, um, or most of the time, obviously, you're still walking around a little bit, um, is ultimately doing yourself a disservice because you're you're basically just letting that knee almost break down a little bit more by that rest. It's a great point. And and let's talk about just critically thinking about how is your knee going to get stronger and more resilient by decreasing the stimulus of, you know, of of whatever it is. Right. And again, not that we don't modify some things, um, but you know, if, if I just sit on the couch for, you know, two or three months and just watch Netflix all day, like the odds of me increasing my deadlift by the end of that <laughs> or, or whatever, are, you know, is, is pretty, uh, is pretty low. Right. So sometimes we do have to kind of critically think through that. Um, you know, what we're, what we're saying to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what is like, obviously everyone's a little bit different by function and everything, but what does that middle ground look like where we're not fully resting someone, but we're also not just telling them like, continue running what you were because like, you'll be fine. What's that middle ground to that we need to find for people? Um, I think that's the uh, million dollar question, right? You know, and, and uh, you know, what, 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 what we do in the clinic is um, really make sure that, that we have an understanding of what specifically is, is causing their knee injury. Is there, it, it, or actually pain, like is the pain starting, you know, in the first quarter mile? Is it happening, you know, at mile 15? You know, is it happening at the end of the race where they can't get that last push? Um, we're saying, you know, for runners uh, or obstacle course racers. But, um, but yeah, you know, that, that, that middle ground, you know, I, I like to say is technically offloading the knee, but that's not by resting, right? That's, that's, it's all starts with changing the way they're, uh, the way they're moving. Because if, if every step they're taking is, uh, you know, causing a little bit of irritation in that knee, then, I mean, we could do all the exercises in the world. And if they're, if they keep doing that outside of the clinic, then, you know, where it's all for not, you know, and it's still going to be irritated. Yeah. And I think that's really what it comes down to is just figuring out what someone's doing wrong with their movements and correcting that. Um, I actually just finished working with someone. I only had to see her for two sessions. Um, she had gone to therapy for a while for a knee pain. They'd done all the like traditional therapy stuff and wasn't getting better. Um, Basically, first session, we cleaned up how she was moving, gave her some exercises to correct how she was moving. And I saw her yesterday. She's like, I haven't had pain for the past, like, week and a half. Wow. Um, and I did watch her one day at the gym, and she was um, she was like, I have a little pain here. And I was looking, and she was like, every time she – it was on double unders, and every jump, her leg was rotating inward at her hip. And mm. so and I just like – told her that she's been paying more attention to it. We've been doing some exercises to address like that hip control and it just like cleared it up like magic essentially. And it really comes down to, especially with the knee, like if you clean up movement patterns and how that knee is moving on itself, we can clear up a lot of things really fast. Yeah. You know, um, I, yeah, I, I love the idea of obviously as we talked about so much and you just alluded to, um, the, uh, 
uh, adjacent joints and how important that is. And we can take a deeper dive into that in a little bit. Um, but I mean, other things like gait patterns, you know, hey, let's, uh, let's shorten your stride length, you know, for now. Let's change maybe some of your running mechanics because maybe as you're moving through the gait cycle and for everyone listening, that's the walking or running cycle um, that we all go through. You know, maybe there is a little bit too much pressure going on at the knee during, you know, during uh, at, at some point during a mid stance or terminal stance. Um, and, and once we clean kind of some of those things up, um, guess what? Every second of the day then that they're moving, they're moving properly and they're offloading their knee in that regard, not by sitting down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Although squats might have something to do with it. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, so yeah, you know, it's about taking that, that, that deep dive in. What I like to tell people and give them an analogy of is like the knee is an interesting thing because every time we're moving improperly, it's kind of like, you know, picking a scab, right? And, and when their knee's angry at them, what happens? You keep picking the scab, and we all know what happens when you keep picking the scab. At some point, it's going to bleed and not, not heal right, you know? Um, and so if we, um, if we retrain things, it helps the knee kind of be left alone so it can calm down. I mean, that's really the recipe there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, you just nailed it there. If you're constantly moving in those bad patterns, you're continuing to flare up the structures that are constantly inflamed. And once you take the pressure off that by proving those mechanics, it naturally lets it calm down. Yeah. And, and another, you know, kind of facet of this is, and Brianna, I really want to like, it, you kind of got me thinking about this, like, you know, the whole, oh, I have arthritis in my knee. Oh, my arthritis is the worst thing my physician's ever seen and blah, blah, blah. Like, like, my knee is thrashed. Um, you know, like how often do you get those kind of uh, beliefs or um, opinions, you know, on, on someone's condition? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like all the time and not just the knee, all the joints, but, but yeah, it's, it's so often that it's just, well, I have arthritis. Can I still continue to run? My doctor says I can't run anymore. Like all of these excuses because of this diagnosis rather than like, let's take a different look at it and figure out like, why is that there? and What we can do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, do, do you personally feel that someone with, you know, significant arthritis um, and faulty movement mechanics can, you know, get back to running marathons again? For the most part. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, you and I both have been therapists long enough that we've been able to like, we felt those knees that they're like, <laughs> crazy grinding like oh yeah oh yeah sounds like a door hinge when you (laughs) squat and (laughs) so there definitely are some people that it is bad enough that probably do need surgery um but the majority of people who it's not like that they they literally like just found out they had it because they went to the doctor with knee pain um like those sorts of people there's even research backing that if you can improve people's movement like they're running again, they're squatting again and doing all of this stuff pain-free. So it, like, I think there's a lot to be said for just improving movement patterns in order to p- get people back to doing what they love. Exactly, exactly. And if, if nothing else, it's worth a shot to try it. Mm-hmm. Spend a month doing it, trusting in the program. Cause you can always get the surgery later, right? Um, but you know, if we can uh, significantly reduce the pain and all that kind of stuff, like I try to tell my patients, like, you know, I don't particularly care what's on my autopsy after I go, <laughs> you know, after I pass away, you know what I mean? If they say, oh, wow, he had the worst shoulder arthritis ever in the history of humans, you know, it's like, well, I've never had shoulder pain and I can do all the things I want to. So, you know, who really cares? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, what we really are addressing is that pain and that dysfunction. Um, uh, uh, and improving function, right? Yeah. And I think too, it's important to know, like, yes, some people have knee pain on both sides, but the majority of the time it's one-sided. And if you take images of both sides, they look almost identical. And so at that point, like we really have to question, is it structurally what you see in there that's causing it? Or is it something else that's creating it? Because both the pain-free side and the painful side 
have damage. They both have the arthritis or the, the issues. Um, yeah, but you're only feeling it on one side. I think that is perfect. And I love that contemporary research now where we're now imaging the healthy as opposed to only the sick, mm-hmm. you know, because we're getting a lot more data points on, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I remember there was a, a study on the knee and they, it, was, it was people who were asymptomatic. It was like 800 people or something like that. Um, all asymptomatic, which means they've had no knee pain ever, um, no reported knee pain at least. They, um, they did an MRI and they found like 86% of the people had like meniscus issues, including bucket handle tears and all those really catastrophic kind of, kind of tears. And so it's like, well, if you can have these issues and no knee pain, um, and obviously also have these issues and knee pain, you know, what are we, what are we really doing? What are we trying to do here? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just really alleviate the, you know, the issues or the, 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 the patient's pain. Yeah. I'm and never I think... fix a meniscus. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, I think too, like, it's important to remember even like strength in the legs is important for supporting at least our bodies. We still need to move in good patterns, but that strength, I think, can impact it a lot. Um, and just kind of going from an example of someone that I've talked to recently, um, he, I think his, his meniscus, he's known it's been torn for five, six years, um, was doing fine, no problem, started training for a half marathon, stopped doing his strength work that he was doing before. And all of a sudden that pain came back within like six months. And my, that was my question to him. I was like, what changed? He's like, well, my strength work, like I haven't been doing as much strength work as I've been running more. Um, and so it's like, we do need, even as runners, we need to keep our legs strong to like prevent a lot of this stuff from happening too. Yeah. Running is not the sole way to strengthen um, a leg, even for a runner. You know, obviously it's a big part of it, but, um, you need to be doing other things to progressively overload your, your, your body, your entire body, um, so that you have the, um, the capacity, you know, to run farther, faster, stronger, all of those kind of things. That's a huge point. Yeah. And just performance wise, like the, obviously there's a balance, the more you weigh, like the more you have to move over space. But at the same time, most people who start doing strength work get a lot faster because they're, they have more power. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, you, you see the top, you know, runners in the world, you know, um, a lot of their training involves being in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just running ultra marathons every single day or every single week to, uh, uh, to, to get better. And yeah, guess what? When you train the different muscle fibers and um, have more per- coordination and, you know, nerve input into the muscles, they work better, they work more efficiently, and uh, you get better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, uh, it, it makes me kind of think of my one of my patients. Um, she, uh, she's about she's in her 60s. Um, she used to do CrossFit and uh, but had knee pain on both sides and she uh uh her 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 and her doctor came to the conclusion that maybe crossfit's not the best thing for her um and we uh we ended up uh we ended up meeting kind of in a roundabout way uh we were like we're physical therapists she was like oh well i need two knee replacements so like physical therapy is not going to help we kind of talked to her convinced her to uh you know at least give it a try for a you know um a couple weeks and see what happens we were week one and a half and she was doing a, a step up exercise. She stopped in the middle of the exercise. She was like, you know what? In this like panic thing. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like, what's, 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 what's going on? Are you okay? She's like, I don't think I need surgery. And we were like, wow. Like that was just super cool to hear from her who was, you know, very skeptical about, about it. And, you know, obviously the stars aligned on that, you know, we don't, you know, have those kind of results with every human being, you know, we, we see, but, um, you know, if she hadn't given that a shot, she would have probably been under the knife now. Yeah. You know? so. That's awesome. When they have those realizations of like, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's great, you know, um, and, and it always sounds so good coming from the patient as opposed to us saying, oh, my gosh, your range of motion improved, this improved, that improved, them, t- you know, truly saying that um, this has altered my life. So Yeah, yeah. super cool, super cool. Um, we kind of brushed past it a couple times. Let's kind of dive into the, what we're talking, what we brushed past on the knee and how we like above below those other areas impact actually what's going on at that knee. Yeah. Uh, great. So I'll take that one and I'm going to anger a bunch of people by it, but awesome. it's all good. <laughs> well, we do best, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think anyone who's still listening to, uh, to these podcasts and us on the, that they, they know what they're going to get. Um, what, what, what I kind of say is, you know, really boil it down for my patients. And, you know, I know there's so many nuances to the knee, but I do tell the patient, you know, the knee is, t- is typically a fairly dumb joint, right? It can flex and it can extend. Obviously, we know as physical therapists, there's a lot of translations and internal rotations and things like that. It's much more complicated than that. But just as an analogy, I say it's, you know, it's a, it, it doesn't know how to do a whole lot. <laughs> so that means it's heavily, heavily influenced by the adjacent joints, more so than other joints, um, and those joints being the hip and the, uh, and the ankle area. Um, and that kind of, you know, what I'm obviously attempting to do is just really put it in perspective that, like, yes, your knee hurts, but we have to work on these other joints in order for you to be fully functional, right? Mm-hmm. One thing I always, like, if someone's not necessarily skeptical, but just kind of I think it's a good way to explain it um, is like, like if you stand with your feet flat, like forcefully collapse that arch and you try to squat, like, and try to keep your knees in line, it's impossible. Mm. Like you literally can't do it. And so if that's naturally what's happening every single time you squat, that your feet are collapsing, like you, there's no way you can squat with your knees in good alignment. And if you do, you're rolling to the outside of your feet. So then you're still putting weird pressures and torsions on the knee itself. Um, And so like, I always, that's a really easy example to give um, or to have people like go through. It's just like, oh, like if my feet aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing or if my ankles are collapsing, like my knees are going to be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I I love that because it, it gives the, the patient the understanding and, and the feeling of it. Why don't you see how that feels when, you know, your arches collapse and you try to squat and when, you know, you're uh, doing the opposite of that and trying to squat. Now let's find this neutral position and see what this feels like. Oh, wow, that actually feels a lot better. First rep, we're already, you know, um, in, improving their, uh, mm-hmm. um, their function and they could feel that. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, the, uh, I think you treat very similar to me or I to you, um, with this kind of ground up approach, right. You know, typically we start, you know, maybe at the feet and then move up if it's a lower body, lower extremity issue. Am I correct in that brand? Accurate. Yep. I, I, I figured, I figured as much. We know each other very well. Um, so, uh, you know, I, if we are, if our foundation of movement, which is our feet, is um, uh, not optimal, how is anything up the chain going to be optimal? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, uh, you know, someone gave an analogy. I forgot where I heard this, so forgive me on not uh, re- referencing it. But, you know, if, if, if your feet are not optimal, it's kind of like shooting a bazooka off of like a dinghy, <laughs> you know, a small little <laughs> boat. You know what I mean? It's kind of like just rock that boat like crazy. Um, so, you know, so we have to, we have to be sound lower so that we can be sound upper, you know? Yeah. There's no, there's really no better way to, well, there's a lot of ways to put it, but, um, but really, yeah, like that foot is your foundation and, and it plays a lot into what happens up the chain. And yeah, if you don't have that solid, then nothing else can be solid either. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how do you start with, um, with a person when you're, you know, they're coming in, they're like, my knee hurts, 
And, you know, we have some explanations as to why we need to go to the adjacent joints. You know, what's your kind of level one, you know, for, um, uh, for the feet um, when you're trying to just retrain, we'll say, someone who's never really been uh, concerned about the arches. They might know pronate, the word pronation, but don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, like, I, I will always take a visual of what I see, but then I will also ask them, like, where do they feel the weight is on their foot? Because I do want them to really just get a good understanding of, like, sensing their body and what's what's going on. Um, so trying to figure out like, where do they feel the weight? Is it on the outside of the feet, the heels, the ball of the foot? Like where's that majority? Um, and then from there, I really work on basically training the tripod of the foot. So your heel just behind your small toe, just behind your big toe is their tripod. And then just like the tripod of the camera, you want equal weight on all three points. So it's nice and stable, um, and really work on, and I'll just have them do just a couple air squats in place on that tripod and really get them feeling like what it feels like to move with that good solid base. Mm. That's uh, yeah, that's super simple, but like so applicable and like easy. And I implore anybody who's listening to this, try that really quickly and, and, and see how that feels. Um, Cause yeah, that's just a tangible way. And guess what? Everything up the chain typically improves when we, when we do something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, at least a little bit. Um, and so it's that instant feedback, cool, they're working and moving well. Um, I, I, I do something similar with that, um, but I always have to tell my patients, this is funny, that because I, I had, when I first started training the feet, uh, I had people coming in being like, yeah, like I love this kind of tripod position. However, when I run like that, it does not feel good. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You should not be running in that kind of position. This is for all of your kind of static movements where your feet are planted. You know, maybe a lunge or something like that as well. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was, it was, it was kind of interesting. They took it so to heart that you know everything they did was like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure, like how you would run like that. Cause you still have to get that pronation moment. You still have to get onto your toe. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking or I'm, I'm envisioning cause I never saw it, but like this kind of bow legged kind of <laughs> cause that's the only way I can, I can, I could visualize that. So that was a learning moment on my part. <laughs> that's funny. Do this for everything except for running and walking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And on that note, like just going into the running and walking a little bit, um, and I think we've brushed on this before, but we do need like pronation gets this really bad rap. It got this really bad rap for years because shoe companies or whoever decided it was a bad thing to do. So we stopped people from pronating in all ways, shape or form, which caused knee issues because we need to pronate to unlock the foot, to unlock the knee, to allow everything to move properly. Um, so like we still do need for normal foot function, we do need a little bit of pronation. Um, over pronation correct is a bad thing. We do need to, we want to strengthen the foot in order to correct that over pronation moment um, and also the hip in the process. But if we don't have at least a little bit of pronation, if it's completely blocked by your shoes or orthotics or whatever other bracing you're using, that knee can't do what it needs to do either, which long-term is going to, or can create knee issues there too. Yes, you said that absolutely perfectly. And um, this is going back to, um, you know, our, our first topic today. And it's a swinging from one side of the pendulum to the exact like opposite, right? You know, there were some studies or whatever the case was published and saying that pronation was bad. And all of these red flags came off and now no one wants to pronate and and all that kind of stuff. But you're right, it's a natural part of the gait cycle. It's a natural part of walking. You need to pronate um, to an extent, right? Um, but yeah, the whole idea that it's inherently bad and that we need to go to the, uh, I'm gonna put some people on blast, like Dr. Scholl's like thing in your local like, you know, drugstore, you know, where you step on the, the deal and it, whatever. It's like, come on, like everyone, like this is a business. They're never gonna say you don't need us they're going to be like, Oh, you, you got all this. So you got to buy this. Right. You know? So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that's helping in the perpetuation of, you know, 
that that these things are horrible for us. Um, and also, I do think there's an overprescription of orthotics and all of those kind of things when we have the muscles to support our feet. Like they, we we were born with them, most of us, anyways, right? Majority <laughs> <laughs> of the population. <laughs> yeah, and 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 yes, some people have structural abnormalities, and and those things need to be corrected with orthotics. But that is such a small percentage of the population. Yeah, most of our feet are just lazy. <laughs> right. I saw this thing on Instagram the other day and I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something to the effect of, you can tell how good your podiatrist is by how hard they're working to get out of you out of your orthotics. Mm. I was like, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> that is huge. I love that. And we work with a couple of podiatrists out here and we're actually like, we're really cool. Like we're, we're in tandem with like, how can we get this person out of this like mm -hmm. as soon as possible? Yes, a small correction for a period of time is necessary and indicated, but that's not a forever thing. No, uh, not at all. Not at all. That's such a good line. <laughs> you know, and I, I always compare it to the neck braces or the back braces or the shoulder sling after surgery. Like they're there temporarily as a protection while you strengthen and then they go away. <laughs> like, or that yeah. should be the same. Like they're there until we strengthen and then they go away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, otherwise, you know, um, what's the alternative to that? You need to buy orthotics for every seat, for every shoe you have. And, you know, that's your thing. And, you know, I am a proponent that over time that also is making our feet, you know, more kind of comfortable and, and uh, can contribute to more of the problem for when we're not wearing it. Right. Oh, absolutely. Because what happens when we go swimming and don't have swimming orthotics? <laughs> uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just had someone tell me yesterday, I've been seeing her for elbow stuff and all work related. Um, but she's like, yeah, she goes, I have this knee issue that I'd like to see if we could work on today too. And kind of, we're diving into like what the triggers were for it. And one of them, she's like, she said two, and she's like, the other thing she was like, I, so typically when I do squats at the gym, I put my heels on something to elevate it. She's like, cause I know my ankles are limited. She's like, I decided to stop using that crutch and start doing like squats normally again. Um, so she's like, maybe I was doing something a little bit wrong because of like, I switched that up. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of truth to that, that the body does learn how to be compensated, whether it's by heel lifts or orthotics, or you name the foot thing you're using to compensate that when you are forced to walk barefoot or, you know, not wear shoes or not have your orthotics in, or you want to wear those, you know, cute shoes to, to go out that you can't put your orthotics in, like how much are you going to suffer because your foot doesn't know what to do in those situations? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and your foot freaks out. And I know when I wear my cute shoes personally, you know, <laughs> for that <laughs> <laughs> i know i know um you know me too well um <laughs> but yeah you know and, and and that's that's getting back to the overall theme of like function right and what is function and function isn't spending a thousand dollars of accessories just so you can go hiking or go walking or whatever function is that you can just go walking or mm -hmm. hiking you know um and, and yeah, you know, we, we invest all this money into those, uh, you know, all the, the cloud shoes, I call them, you know, that have, you know, six inches of foam and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, not only is it, you know, uh, counter, probably counterproductive to a lot of us in our feet and knees and hips, um, but, you know, like, at that point, we also lose contact with the ground, right? And um, I, I forgot, um, you know, what it was, but it was like, you know, you have just as many sensors, uh, sensory um, organs in your fingers as you do your feet. So why are we losing contact with the ground um, and, and, and decreasing that? Yeah, I actually just saw, um, I don't know if you follow Dr. Emily Spleichel, she's here local to me. Um, I just saw a post she put up, I think yesterday, the day before, and it was a good reminder that we have more sensory nerves in our feet than we do motor nerves. Wow. And so it's like our feet need to feel the ground. They need to feel something in order to like really have optimal performance or optimal yeah. function. Yes. Yes. 
and at least some of the time, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm not advocating that everyone should go barefoot running or anything like that. Um, but, you know, when you're at, in your home, you know, do you need the cushy memory foam slippers to be in your home? You know, um, or can we just be barefoot for a little bit of time and and kind of reinitiate that um, that brain body connection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Let's take a quick break to talk about Power Insole. When I first heard about this product, I was automatically turned off because of the name. I thought it helped support the foot, which was a huge no for me. I quickly found out I was wrong. Power Insole is a two by two gel pad that goes inside your shoe that works on your body's cells to help improve your recovery and your performance. I've been testing this out for a couple weeks now and really am amazed by the results. Like my body just feels better. My legs don't feel as heavy. And one really cool thing is you can put it on an area that's maybe injured or just achy and that pain and stiffness goes away quickly, or at least it did for me, which I thought was awesome. If you are looking for just a simple, easy way that you can enhance your recovery and your performance, I really encourage you to check out Power Insole and give it a test ride for yourself. You can find more information about them and pick up one for yourself at getyourfixpt.com slash powerinsole. And if you use code getyourfix at checkout, you can save 10%. You can also go to my partner's page, getyourfixpt slash partners, and find the link directly to Power Insole as well as all my other partners. And now let's get back to the show. Speaking of barefoot, um, what are your thoughts on barefoot running and all of that kind of stuff and getting towards our minimalist shoes? You don't mind me asking. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> um, so... As far as barefoot running, like if it's a safe environment, absolutely. Um, In like grass where you know there's like not going to be any like broken glass, things like that. So like there's a specific park that I go to that I know in that area they play flag football, soccer, like youth leagues. And so I'm like, I know they keep that clean. (laughs) So like I'll go barefoot run there. Um, even at my gym on the asphalt, if I'm just doing a warm up and I'm like not worried about speed and things like that, I'll run barefoot. Um, as long as it's not middle of the summer and a hundred some degree weather, cause oh. I don't want to burn my feet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then when, um, but then when I do wear shoes, it is minimalist shoes just because it's still, you don't feel the ground as much because there is a surface there between your foot and the ground, but you, your foot can still move like it's meant to move and meant to function. So I'm a huge proponent for it. With that said, there's proper ways to transition into them. So you don't destroy your lower legs and feet in the process and get yourself injured in a different way. <laughs> you, you mean you can't go from like hokas or sketchers to like barefoot running overnight? <laughs> Definitely a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there, there is a transition period and I, I'm a proponent of that if someone wants to explore the minimalist stuff. But yeah, you can't, you can't just go from, from one polar opposite, as we were talking about, to, to the other and expect uh, that to be a good outcome for you. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I love the idea and the resurgence of the whole barefoot, you know, thing. And I don't think everyone should be doing it, but I think it's super cool with people who are doing it. And, you know, it does change your walking, your running mechanics, and it does change a whole lot of things. But, you know, at, at the same time, we, you know, have been humans for, you know, what are we talking about? 200,000 years, homo sapien, you know what I mean? So uh, most of that time we didn't have shoes. And <laughs> right. they, they, they got along pretty well, although they also didn't have hypodermic needles in their parks. So. <laughs> <laughs> minor detail, minor detail. <laughs> yeah, minor detail. Um, so yeah, it, it just definitely depends. <laughs> right. Circling back though, to kind of bring the knee, knee pain into this conversation. Um, like if any of you have ever run outside barefoot, just even if it's just like chasing your child in the park or across the yard or whatever, or you can go test it for yourself when you're done listening to this. Um, but you'll find when you run barefoot, like your body has a protective response. It wants to protect itself. So you naturally are not going to hit the ground as hard as what you would if you were in shoes. 
Um, or especially, and then basically the harder the cushion the shoe is, the more, the harder your foot will hit the ground, putting more impact through that leg. So even though it almost seems counterintuitive that when you're barefoot, that you'd have less force through that knee, your body protects itself. It's going to land softer and you truly do have less force going through that knee in the process. So, um, it's really like you're decreasing a lot of issues by being in minimal shoes, barefoot, anything like that, just because the way the body wants to protect itself. Wow. I think, uh, that's cool. I actually didn't, uh, didn't know that, that we strike uh, a little bit softer, just our brain knows, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? You know, you don't want to go slamming around. Although I think all of my apartment, you know, neighbors above me, uh, would, uh, would disagree. <laughs> I think they actually hit harder. <laughs> I've had those neighbors. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. It's a small percentage of the population, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and, 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 and that's the fun, uh, just getting back to all of this, like that's the fun part of movement and fitness and stuff is that it doesn't have to be regimented, right? You can explore. You don't need, you know, your $200 running shoes, you know, all the time to, to just, you know, explore your body. Um, and I think the people who do more, which is why I love, um, you know, things like CrossFit where it's like constantly varied stuff, you know, they're just a more well-rounded person physically. Yeah. It, it's really interesting, especially in the, um, like in the OCR world and seeing the different athletes and kind of looking at being able to see some of them and how they train and just the difference between like people who are amazing runners, but don't have the greatest strength or don't do a lot of that time versus once you do a lot of CrossFit, but run on the side. And it's really interesting to see like the different dynamics and where people excel, um, based on how they train. It's, it's so fascinating. And I, I, I just love her breaking out of this whole thing that like, in order to be strong, you have to just power lift all day, or you have to do this, or you have to do that. If you just want to do those things, totally cool. But, uh, when you mix it up, like, you know, it's, it's the same thing, you know, um, Pete Carroll, um, you know, said that, you know, he loves his athletes who have uh, done other sports because they are a much more rounded athlete. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same exact thing. You just become a much more rounded person. And who knows, like maybe your lifts um, would increase if you did some something else, you know, um, had a different stimulus to your nervous system. Or maybe your, your running times would decrease if you, you know, spend a little bit more time in the gym for a little bit. You know, it's, you know. It's it's interesting and it's fun. That's the fun part of all this. It really is. It really is. And there's really, I think that's why there's so many like theories and successful coaches and everything is because there are so many like, yes, there's some things are very like, we want to follow these like overall concepts, but for the most part, I'm like, people make improvements in so many different ways and depending on the body type and weaknesses, strengths, things like that, that there's just so many variables to like how someone trains and what the successes are going to have. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great. Now, yeah, I, I do agree that, you know, some of the most successful, oh, sorry, that there are so many successful coaches who have different regimens and all of, you know, their athletes are world-class, you know. Um, but, you know, uh, that's kind of breaking things down, like, you know, um, I was actually talking with a, a gym owner recently you know, about how he, he trains and, you know, he does break things down, you know, as you and I do, Bran, and this like, you know, musculoskeletal system or nervous system, you know, you know, connective tissue system, you know, all of these different systems, um, because a lot of us are just naturally disposed to be high in one area and maybe lower in another area, right? And when you um, diversify your training, you're just building up all of those other, other areas, most likely. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, it's a conversation I got in with, um, someone I train with recently, um, and just talking about like where her strengths and weaknesses are and mine. And we've gotten talking about her kids and the whole concept of like fast switch muscle fibers, slow twitch, and how different people have different amounts of them and how different that impacts like how some performs in different areas. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and uh it uh it's not only cool but you know like uh, but you know also how you can train the different ones and 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 all of that but you you got me really thinking about you know do you think our fiber type mix up that we're predisposed you know uh, to having do you think that might also influence the sports that we choose I mean, I know there's a lot of variables and stuff like that, but you know what I mean? Kind of deep down, I had never I thought of this before. I think it will. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll <say> yes. <laughs> um, I think we not necessarily pick the sports by that, but like what we then do maybe later on. So this is also coming from me who grew up when you played all possible sports, you didn't specialize until you were older. Um, but then it's just like, so it gave you the opportunity to be like, what can I be good at? And then what do I do later on in life? Um, but I think it does like um, just kind of with my friend and I, she's collegiate level gymnast. She still coaches. Her daughters are both gymnasts. And she said in between her kids, she notices a difference as far as she's like, one of her daughters has like really explosive and springy. And the other one is more like me who <laughs> has more slower twitch fibers. And she's like, I get so frustrated with her at times because she's just not as like explosive. Um, but I think it does. Cause I think for me personally, it's the reason I struggle with certain skills in CrossFit is because I'm like, I don't, my body doesn't have as many fast stretch fibers. So like that quick turnover on the muscle up, that quick drop that has to happen on the snatch, like my body just doesn't want to do that. <laughs> it says no. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to move snail speed for you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that, and that's perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, um, to, uh, refer my question, you know, like it, it, I, I can see how, um, later in life it, it, it influences our, our decisions and what we do. Right. I mean, a lot of people say, I'm, I'm just not a good runner, but you know, deep when you really get into it, is it just because like their body does not handle that repetitive motion for long distances? And if they decided to, do more sprints, would that be something they're just happier with and their yeah. body's happier with? Um, really fascinating. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, I know several people who have gone to a number of like master, I can't remember what their like world championships or national championships or what they are, but like masters track meets as sprinters for that reason. Like they're amazing sprinters. Like don't ask them to do more than 400 meters though. Cause like, <laughs> and I think that's the way most sprinters are. And like, most distance runners don't ask them to do a hundred meter sprint and expect it to be super fast. Um, just because we do have those natural tendencies for us. Yeah. Natural abilities. Wow. Um, super profound. I love that. Um, I think we kind of circled off of the knee, but it all has <laughs> everything to do with the knee. Right. You know, and, um, because, uh, you know, your neuromuscular control of your knee is going to dictate, how your knee's going to feel long-term, um, most likely yeah. <laughs> your, um, your training regimens and all of that kind of stuff is going to dictate how your knee feels long-term you hop into training for a marathon by running 15 miles. When you haven't ran more than a mile in a year, guess what? You're going to probably have some, some pain. Yeah. With that. I think too, another thing to remember is, or just kind of keep on the back of your mind when we're, talking about the knee is like we were talking, you have to have good hip control. You have to have good ankle control. You may be great at controlling that when you're doing squats or lunges, that's a very controlled, deliberate movement. But the second you add a box jump to it or do jump squats or in the CrossFit world, doing some wall balls where you have to be a little bit more dynamic, it takes longer for your body to learn under dynamic movements, how to control those movement, how to control that leg in those like faster. And so it, it can be one of those things too, that's like, maybe your squats feel great, but when you do a box jump, you start having pain again, just because you haven't quite learned how to fire in the right pattern in that more dynamic, faster movement. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, and you've gotten really good at the stationary thing. And now as you make it more dynamic, progress into more um, kind of open environments and more variable environments, um, it, um, it kind of falls apart. Um, but that's okay because that's what we're here for to, you know, uh, to, to, to progress that. So you're not going from one thing to another thing that's too, too advanced. 
um, you know, that there are stepping stones in between that, you know, maybe a plyometric, you know, kind of, uh, you know, single leg, like, you know, where you're, um, uh, where as you extend into triple extension of the knees, ankles, and hips, you know, um, you're almost jumping off the box, but like not quite, you know, something like that to build mm -hmm. that control as an example. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Awesome. Well, to start wrapping it up, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you or yell at you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or send the hate mail. Uh, send the hate mail to Brianne. Uh, sure. <laughs> She'll give me the highlights. No. <laughs> uh, you can find us um, on all social media and our, on our website, um, antherapies.com. My company is Auto Ness Ther uh, Physical Therapy. Uh, committed to your autonomy, happiness, and wellness. Um, I love um, coming on these things and having conversations, um, you know, with people who listen, if you agree or maybe if you respectfully disagree. Like, you know, we would love to have others on. We have all have a growth mindset and just want to, uh, uh, to help everyone who's listening, um, you know, enhance and optimize their performance. Awesome. Well, Matthew, it was great talking with you again, as always, and we'll definitely do this again. Yes. Cannot wait. Thanks so much for having me on, Brianna. I love these. You're quite welcome. I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation on Highly Functional. Before I go, I want to talk to you about my rope climb training program. In order to climb a rope efficiently and effectively, you need both strength and proper technique. If you have one without the other, it's gonna be a lot more difficult to climb, you're gonna use a lot more energy, and you have more chance of failing. So if you wanna be more efficient with your rope climbs in order to have more chance of success at your next race, pick up my rope climb training program. You can check it out at getyourfixpt.com courses, along with all my other online programs. Thanks again for tuning in today, and now it's time to go out and be highly functional.